0: Hello everybody, welcome to Health Hackers. I'm Gemma Evans, journalist and presenter in the UK. This is my series spotlighting Pioneering figures in health and well being. Amy Morin is my special guest today, speaking to me from the US. Amy is a psychotherapist, social worker, and psychology lecturer who was described in Forbes as a thought leadership star. She wrote the best selling book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. She followed it up with 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And most recently, Amy released. 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. For the next half an hour or so, Amy will be giving us insights into how we can improve our own mental strength. Amy, welcome. Thanks for having me, Gemma. Now, for anybody who hasn't read your books or seen your TED Talk, which, by the way, everybody has been viewed more than nine and a half million times on YouTube, uh, would you explain a little bit about what led you to write about mental
1: strength? Sure, so I started my career as a therapist, and I thought, this is great, I get to teach people who come into my office all the things I learned in college. But, you know, my interest in mental strength became personal um, shortly after my career started. My mom passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm, and it was at that moment that I thought, you know, I want to know how come some people go through tough times and they stay stuck versus other people who go through tough times and they learn from it, they grow from it, and they become better. So I started studying everyone who came into my therapy office with this personal interest. And I realized that sometimes it wasn't about what people did. It was more about what they didn't do that helped them to be mentally strong and to get through tough times. Because people who came into my office, some of them had gone through incredible tragedies. They were dealing with um, depression, anxiety, all sorts of things. But some of them got better faster. They bounced back. They still were hopeful about life. They were making changes. And I saw these other people who just felt like, uh, there, there was no hope. They didn't want to do anything differently. They uh, were just really stuck. And about three years—it was actually three years to the day that my mom died—that my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And to be a 26-year-old widow is just a bizarre, strange place to be. And really, by then, I had at least learned that it wasn't about what people did; it was more about what they didn't do. So I decided I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to make sure that I don't do these certain things that will keep me stuck. And of course, it took a long time to feel better, uh, to really figure out what's my new sense of normal. How am I going to rebuild my life? It was a few years later. I was fortunate enough to to find love again. I got remarried and life was looking pretty good for a moment. And then my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I just remember thinking, why again? How come I have to lose someone else? This isn't fair. Life was finally going well. And now I'm going to lose somebody again. And Fortunately I remembered, okay, if I wanna stay strong, it's not about what I do, sometimes it's about what I don't do. So I sat down and I wrote a list of all the things mentally strong people don't do. So things that I'd learned in my therapy office, but I'd never really written them down in one place. And I would read over that list to stay strong and to deal with what I was going through and I thought, all right, if this is helpful to me, maybe it will help somebody else. So I published it online, sort of on a whim, just thinking maybe it would resonate with somebody, but I never imagined it would go viral, but uh, 50 million people read that article. And before I knew it, a literary agent called and said, You have to write a book. And I had a publishing deal within a month. And it sort of changed the course of my entire career, and basically changed my life. Wow. Um, you've managed to
0: condense so many years into that couple of minutes there, which is phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, before we talk about the actual things that mentally strong people don't do, Can we just define what you mean by mentally strong? Is it the same as being emotionally tough or resilient?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is people think that being mentally strong means that you suppress your emotions or you don't have feelings or you just sort of like get through anything no matter what it all costs. But that's not it at all because there's a big difference between being mentally strong and just acting tough. So mental strength is, there's three parts to it. It's about uh, your thoughts, which means recognizing when your thoughts are overly negative, but also recognizing when they're overly positive. If You're overconfident. It can be just as damaging as being filled with self-doubt. So it's about recognizing how do you reframe your thoughts? How do you talk back to those negative thoughts? How do you challenge those negative ways of thinking? Second part is about your emotions. You don't have to suppress your emotions. You don't have to always be happy, but that you do have some control over them. If you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you can take action to feel better. Or when you're angry, you can calm yourself down. So it's about recognizing when your emotions are helpful and when they're not, and how do you take action to change how you feel when you need to do that. And then the third part is about taking positive action, about knowing, okay, if I can't change the circumstances, what, or what steps can I take to change my circumstances? If I can't change the circumstances, how do I change how I feel? How do I change how I respond? So it's about knowing what, what steps do you take in life and then actually taking those steps uh, to make your life or somebody else's life a little bit better.
0: Okay, makes sense. Now, you wrote about these 13 things. And if you don't have time to go through 13, that's fine. But perhaps you could give us some of the most significant ones that you discovered mentally strong people do
1: not do. So the first one on the list, which is because I was in this place myself, is that mentally strong people don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. And self-pity is different from just being sad or from grieving or from being upset. When you're sad, that can be healing. Part of the process of becoming stronger is acknowledging and allowing yourself to be disappointed or angry or upset or embarrassed. But self-pity is when you start to think, my life is worse than everybody else's. There's nothing I can do about this. Uh, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. And that's when you get stuck in this pattern of thinking, there's no sense in changing my life. Um, And so part of getting out of that pattern is just saying, well, how do I be great? How do I recognize what I have? Rather than thinking I deserve better, it's about thinking, okay, I have more than I need and just acknowledging that. And then asking yourself, what's one thing I could do to make my life or somebody else's life better? And then getting out there and doing just that.
0: Okay. But just I think stop feeling sorry for ourselves then. Just start mm-hmm. listing what good things we have in our lives. Exactly.
1: Because we all do it sometimes, whether you've gone through a bad breakup or you are having problems at work, it's easy to think this is horrible and awful and you really catastrophize it. Mm. Uh, but out of all of the 13 things, I think the one that resonates most with people is number two the one about a mentally strong people don't give away their power. And that one is about acknowledging uh, that you're in control of how you think, how you feel, and how you behave. Because it's so tempting sometimes to say, uh, My mother in law makes me feel bad about myself. Maybe she's critical of you, but she doesn't force you to feel bad. Or you say, I have to go to work today. Well, you don't have to go to work. It's a choice. And of course, if you don't show up at the office, there's probably going to be consequences. But just recognizing and changing your language of, okay, I'm in control of what I do with my day. I'm going to go to work and that's a choice. That can make a huge difference in your life because so often we say, oh, I have to go to dinner with my in-laws or I have to go do something. No, you don't. Just acknowledge I'm choosing to do this because, um, because I want to or because it's the right thing to do, not that anybody's forcing you to do it.
0: So they're the, the top two,
1: you reckon, the self-pity and the power. Have you got time for some others, a few more? I do. So another one is that mentally strong people don't fear taking calculated risks. I think uh, there's a lot of confusion about this when it comes to mental strength. People will think you should just take the leap. You should just always take huge risks. That's not true. You should definitely calculate the risks. But the truth is most of us don't know how to calculate risk. We take huge risks all the time. You get in the car and you drive down the road, you're taking a risk. And yet, it doesn't feel scary to us because we do it all the time. So, for most of us, you think, well, that's not risky. But then we think other things are risky public speaking or flying in an airplane. But those things, when you really think about it, well, you're not putting your life in nearly as much danger as when you get behind the wheel and you drive down the road. So, one strategy is to just take a minute and think, well, how risky is this thing that I'm doing? And Because when our emotions cloud our judgment, when we're really excited about something, we tend to minimize how risky it is. That's why people fall for get rich quick schemes because they think this is a sure thing and they forget that it's really risky. But also when we're anxious about something, our anxiety spills over into other areas of our life. So if you're anxious about something in your personal life and then you go to work and your boss says, hey, do you want to do this project you might say no because you're anxious about something else and your anxiety bubbles over so it's really about just recognizing how do i feel what's my emotional state and how does it affect the choices that i'm making so that you can balance out those emotions with a little more logic
0: so what can we do about that then take the scenario where you're at work you're feeling anxious about something coming up in your personal life and you amplified it in your head so much that now you feel like you can't even Carry out work tasks properly because you're so anxious about this other thing that you've now blown out of complete perspective.
1: So a few things. One is to just acknowledge how am i feeling. Sometimes just labeling it and saying I'm really anxious today takes a little bit of the sting out of it. Then to say, well, what are the steps I can use to cope with anxiety? A lot of us don't don't even know how we cope. We tend to maybe we overeat, or some people uh, tend to get into other bad habits. They smoke cigarettes, or they. Uh, sit around and gossip all the time, something like that to distract themselves. So it's important to think, okay, well, how can I now take care of my anxiety? Maybe you do some deep breathing, you have meditation, maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you talk to somebody about something completely different, or maybe you turn and you talk to somebody and say, this is what's going on so you can get some emotional support. But just knowing how do you cope with your emotions, having a toolbox of good, healthy coping skills is really important. And then I think sometimes the easiest thing when it comes to taking a risk is to just say, what advice would I give to my friend who had this problem? And that takes the emotion out of it. If your friend came to you and said, my boss offered me this project, but I, I don't think I'm going to do it. You might have some words of wisdom that says, oh, you're great. You should definitely do this. But it's harder to give ourselves that same advice. So sometimes just say, what would I give to my fr- advice would I give to my friend? remove a lot of the emotion out of it and you'll give some logical advice and then take your own advice.
0: Is it truly possible to train
1: our brains to be stronger? It is. So what happens and you can physically change your brain. There's tons of studies on this that when you, we all have negative thoughts. So maybe you walk into a job interview and your first thought is this isn't going to go well. I'm going to embarrass myself. This is going to be horrible. But then you decide, all right, get a grip. And you decide you're going to talk back to that negativity. And you say, no, you're okay. Take some deep breaths. Look everybody in the eye. Smile. Walk in there looking like you're confident. You've got this. When you do that often enough that you talk back to that, those negative voices in your head, you can actually change your brain. Teach your brain to think a little bit differently. And the other thing is when you challenge those negative thoughts. So when your brain says, don't do this because you'll embarrass yourself. And then you do it anyway. After a while, it shows your brain to look at you a little bit differently, to train your brain so that it sees you as more competent, more capable, and more able to do things. Because so often when we just sort of listen to that self-doubt, we don't do things, we don't step outside of our comfort zone, it reinforces to our brains that we can't do stuff. So the best strategy is to challenge it. Put yourself out there, do tough things, and teach your brain, no, actually, I've got this. I'm smarter than you give me credit for. And then your brain will start to see you differently.
0: So even if somebody's absolutely terrified, they've just got to go and do it. I mean,
1: within reason, it's not a risky behavior. I mean, if right? Of, the, depends to- what it is. I think for many of us, anxiety is so uncomfortable that we've sort of gotten in the habit of avoiding anything that feels anxiety-provoking. But you know, anxiety is normal. It's healthy. You're supposed to have it. It's supposed to keep you safe. So if your friend says, "Go jump off a bridge," and there's shallow water, your anxiety should kick in and say, that's a really bad idea. But for most of us, our anxiety alarm bells go off, even in situations that aren't risky. So just acknowledging, all right, giving this uh, presentation at this meeting is going to make me anxious, but I can handle anxiety. It's not the end of the world. And when you start putting yourself out there, you start to see, again, that you're more capable and competent than you gave yourself credit for. So what kind
0: of exercises could we begin doing right now to try and begin building our mental toughness do you have any quick exercises you could tell us about I mean you have covered some already
1: so sure so one easy one we talked a little bit about gratitude but write down three things you're grateful for before you go to bed studies will show that you sleep better you have uh, you'll sleep longer uh, you'll be happier, you're more optimistic, you might even live longer. And so, really quick and easy, it takes less than one minute to come up with three things you're grateful for every day. But it's actually you can do it in the morning, do it whenever you want. But if you do it right before you go to bed, you get the extra benefit of sleeping better. Another one is just pick one small thing to do every day that's really tough for you something that normally you would have said no to. Whether it's making a phone call, talking to somebody, doing something, stepping outside your comfort zone, going out of your way to be nice to somebody whatever it is, just do one thing that you might not normally do. And then it just sort of stretches you to say, okay, I can do more than I think that I can. I think if you did just those two things, you would be well on your way to, to building mental strength.
0: Now, how will we know if we are building mental strength? How do we know if it's working?
1: One thing is you'll notice that you don't, um, You don't listen to your self-doubt as much, that you're able to put yourself out there, that you start setting goals a little bit higher than you used to. And you're confident that, okay, I can reach this. But on the flip side, you also know if I fail at something, I'll be okay. Sometimes people think if you're mentally strong, you're going to succeed at everything. And that's not true. And when people have that mindset, it prevents them from doing hard things. But you want to know, I, I can handle it. I can be uncomfortable. I can be embarrassed. I can fail. I can be disappointed. And it's not the end of the world. So just being confident that you can sort of handle whatever life throws your way, you'll feel differently for sure. What if
0: you think, oh gosh, I don't think I can handle that outcome, whatever it may be.
1: So then I think asking yourself, well, how would I feel when it happens? Maybe you think I'll be disappointed. I'll be crushed. How am I going to feel six months from now? Most of the things that we think are going to be horrible and awful six months from now, don't really affect us that much. And again, to just remind yourself, when you think those sorts of thoughts, how do you reframe it? To remind yourself you're stronger than you think. You've been through tough times before. Think of all the other tough things you've been through and how you handled it, how you responded to it, and that you can handle this one too.
0: Brilliant. Now, your follow-up book to your first bestseller was aimed at parents, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. If you could pick one thing, what would be the biggest thing, the one thing that parents must never do
1: if they want their children to become mentally strong individuals? I think the number one thing would be that mentally strong parents don't take responsibility for their kids' emotions. It's something that I see a lot in my therapy office, but also my personal life, where parents feel 100% responsible for their kids' happiness at all times. And they feel like they're doing something wrong. So if their child's sad, they're like, i got to cheer you up. Or if their child's bored, they start to entertain them. Or if their child's angry, they calm them down. And because of that, kids aren't learning the skills that they need to do those things for themselves. And as a college professor, I see what happens to these kids when they finally move out of the, out of the house and their parents aren't right there to help them. And when they get a, a C on a test and they've never gotten a C before, they crumble and they don't know how to cope with it. So it's really important that we're giving kids those skills to deal with their emotions so that they can handle it when we're not right there and to let them be uncomfortable sometimes that kids need to know that being sad or anxious or embarrassed isn't the end of the world and that they can that they're strong enough to handle that
0: That's really interesting because obviously a parent doesn't like to see their child sad and upset if something went wrong at school or there was an accident in the playground, but are you suggesting that you just Sometimes I've got to kind of let them feel it and wait it out until they get over it instead of making it better for them immediately. Exactly.
1: And you know, you don't want to just throw them out there and say, deal with whatever life throws your way. You want to give them the skills. So, you know, when your child doesn't make the basketball team, you want to talk about it. Gosh, how can we do with this? What are your choices? How are you going to respond to this? How are you going to cope with being sad? And to acknowledge their feelings, sometimes we just want to say, If you have a child who says really anxious about an upcoming dance recital, we want to say something like, no, it's not a big deal or don't worry about it, which is essentially teaching them that their feelings are wrong. So a healthier message is to say, I know you're really anxious, but I think you can handle being anxious and still do a good job. Just give them that message that their feelings are okay, no matter what it is that they feel that they have options in how they cope with those emotions, and that they are strong enough to, to change how they feel when their emotions aren't helpful, but that they also uh, have the skills and tools that they need to cope with being lonely, being anxious, being angry, all of those uncomfortable feelings that we just don't want them. It's hard as a parent to see kids struggle, so we try to take all that pain away, but in the end, we're not doing them any favors. How would you handle a
0: discussion with a child if they were upset that they weren't good at something and- And it's just that they're not talented at it. Like it's just one of those things that they're not very good at it. I mean, I'm guessing you shouldn't fib and pretend that they are good or or they could be good. I mean, how do you handle that? Because obviously you don't want to give them the the complete false idea as they go through life that they're amazing at everything.
1: Right. And I think some parents do that with the best of intentions. They tell their kid, you know, you're the best soccer player in the whole world. You're the smartest kid in the whole class. But We're not doing them any favors when we do that. So I think it's about having an honest discussion with your child. Child says, I'm not good at playing the violin. You might say, how could you get better? What are your choices? Nobody's good at it at first. You have to practice. Do you want to practice? You'd have to practice this many hours every week in order to get really good. And Maybe you do some research on people who are really good at something and figure out how many hours did they practice. And then you present that to your child. Maybe it's 25 hours a week. You need to practice this. You have that conversation. Do you really want to be good at playing the violin? This is what it's going to take to to get really good at it. And your child might say, no, that's not that important to me. But if it's something they really want to do, they might say, yeah, I'm willing to come home from school every day and do that thing because I want to get better. But just letting them know that uh, all of us have the opportunity to, to gain skills and to get better, but it takes commitment and dedication. I think in our world today, so much happens just in an instance. You can order something online and it appears on your doorstep. And we think that everything happens that way. Us adults do it too. But we think, okay, if I want to be good at something, I should, by, by Friday, I should have it mastered. And kids need to know it doesn't happen like that. If you want to gain some skills, you want to get better at a certain craft, you have to put in the time and the effort and the energy to get there.
0: On our contemporary times of things moving quickly, um, here's a question. Does social media... Help build or destroy mental strength? Do you think?
1: Good question. I, you know, I think it has the ability to do either one. I know for a lot of people, and I speak about this in the women's book, that say Instagram. We tend to look at images of other people, and we forget that we're just they're giving us usually the best snapshot of their life, and we forget that, and we tend to think, "Gosh, this person has a better life than I do. That person's happier. That person's more attractive than I am. They have more money than I do." And it can easily go down that slippery slope of then thinking my life isn't as good as other people, and there's lots of uh, studies that have linked that way of thinking to depression, to anxiety, to lots of mental health issues. So I think it's about the way that we use it. I'm not against social media; I use it myself all the time for my business. So I think it's important to just be aware of how does it affect you, and how do you use it in a way that it helps you build mental strength rather than um, tears you down.
0: You mentioned your third book which was aimed at women, 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. I wonder, are there specific hurdles that women have to overcome to grow mental strength that, that men don't have to overcome?
1: Yeah, when I was really when I was researching and writing this book and thinking about my life as well as the, the other women that I've worked with and, and friends and family, I was just trying to figure out why is it that women engage in certain bad habits that men aren't as likely to engage in. Of course, some of it has to do with biology, genetics, that sort of a thing, but also the way that we're raised. And it goes back to the way that we treat little girls compared to the way that we treat little boys. Tons of research out there about how just subtle differences in the way that we speak to girls you know we call girls pretty and we tell the boys that they're smart or we tell tell the boys when they do something well we say you did that cuz you're really good at that and we tell the girls you know you tried hard <laughs> lots of little little subtle differences in the way that we speak to boys versus girls and then of course there's all these certain gender norms and cultural expectations that we have of of women and the things that we expect them to do and then when women don't meet those expectations they experience certain struggles mean, one really Easy example is about appearance, that men can kind of just roll out of bed and, and go to work, wear the same suit every day, and nobody would probably say anything. Whereas women, I mean, studies will show women, their hygiene, their grooming practices all affect their chances of success. And for women, it's about you know, wearing, wearing the right clothing, about having your hair done a certain way, the list goes on and on. And it's not just that women put this pressure on themselves, studies will show, women who tend to take better care of themselves and their bodies and their appearance tend to succeed more than other women. And so I think, you know, no wonder women compare themselves to other people or they put pressure on themselves to be perfect. There's all this stuff in society. And until we start breaking those things down, I think not much is going to change.
0: What are your top key points that women should quit doing if they want to
1: become mentally stronger? I think one big one is number thirteen, which is that they don't downplay their success. When we look at how women respond to compliments, for example, women are more likely to minimize their achievement or they give a quick compliment back. They say something like, "Oh no, you're amazing," or "No, it was nothing," because we feel often feel guilty or we feel like we're bragging if we just say thank you. And so, uh, and then when we look at how women deal with their skills, say on LinkedIn, women list far fewer skills than men even if we looked at two people who are in equal roles that the men tend to go on and on and on about how awesome they are and the women say I'm not so bad and it's affecting our careers as well and it's not to say that men are right and women are wrong but to just know that you don't have to shrink yourself it's okay to accept a compliment by just saying thank you or it's okay to say here are my achievements and to offer the facts. And it doesn't mean that you're bragging that, or that you're narcissistic because you say, I'm really proud of who I am and what I've become.
0: Do you think some women fear judgment from other women of coming across as arrogant and therefore they're going to lose,
1: lose a lot of friends? Absolutely. In fact, when they looked at how women accept compliments, women struggled the most when the compliments came from other women. That if a man says, you did a great job in that meeting, we're more likely to say thank you. But when a woman says, you did a great job in that meeting today, we're more likely than ever to say, oh, it was nothing or you would have done the same thing. Something like that to just kind of deflect it as if we don't feel worthy of it or that we're afraid that if we just say thank you, that somehow we're uh, pitting ourselves against each other. So I think it's so important to just practice saying thank you when someone gives you a compliment, whether it's a man or a woman. That's good advice. Because I guess in my head, I'm
0: imagining if someone gave me a compliment. Yes, I suppose I could say, oh, thank you. And that would be fine. It would probably be a bit arrogant if I went, oh, yeah, I did an awesome job. Yeah. woo!" And so (laughs) pumping up my own self. Um, Yeah, there's a big difference, isn't there? I guess sometimes you think that even the thank you might sound a little bit too arrogant. But you're right. It makes sense. It's, you're just accepting it. There was something I saw on your Instagram, actually, where you, you posted uh, a, a post in relation to the, the reasons that some people find it uncomfortable to receive compliments. I think you were saying like what it, what it says about you if you find compliments a bit cringeworthy. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us feel that way. Like, it's a funny thing. A compliment's supposed to help you feel good about yourself. But sometimes it doesn't quite match up with the way we see ourselves. So when somebody says, you are just an awesome fill-in-the-blank, maybe you're an awesome public speaker, you're so smart, and it doesn't quite match the way that you see yourself, it makes you cringe because you either have to think this person is wrong or I'm wrong, (laughs) and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes, you know, we just don't feel great about ourselves, and when people offer really kind words, again, it just doesn't quite line up with the way that we see ourselves, and we think, Now, how do I respond to this? Or if I just say thank you, they're going to have these huge expectations of me that I'm going to keep this up. And there's so much that goes into into it. And uh, so again, it just comes back to just learning to say thank you. And even though that feels uncomfortable, that when you practice just saying thank you, it gets better over time and it becomes more comfortable to be able to just acknowledge that you're saying thank you for saying that, not necessarily thank you. I know I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, have you got any other tips for women things that they should stop doing if they want to be emotionally more resilient yeah
1: you know another big one was that mentally strong women don't avoid tough challenges and when we look at the challenges men accept compared to women I mean it's incredible we think well this is why so many men are out there doing doing stuff they're getting to the top they're doing awesome things a lot of times it's because they're willing to just say okay they don't necessarily wait women tend to hesitate a lot more than men and they tend to be filled with self-doubt they tend to uh, struggle with confidence more than men when it comes to making those decisions and they their hesitation often means that they lose out on opportunities so sometimes it's just about saying yeah i'll give that a try put yourself out there and know that uh that you can handle it, even if it doesn't work out, that you'll be okay anyway. So these kind of techniques, these are all going to
0: help us train our brains to be mentally stronger.
1: Yes. And then over time, you know, it's like building any other muscle, something you have to keep working at, something that's going to happen slowly. But over time, you'll notice differences, differences in the way that you think, differences in the way you feel, differences in the way that you behave. And then, but it's something you have to keep working at too. Every once in a while, I encounter someone who says, well, I'm mentally strong enough already. But that would be like saying I don't need to go to the gym because I already have big enough muscles. After a while, your muscles are going to shrink. Same with your, your mental muscle. You have to keep working it out. But the more that you do it, life changes and pretty incredible things that you'll see that you're capable of doing. And life gets a lot better when you feel mentally stronger.
0: And for those days when perhaps you wake up and you don't feel mentally strong, is there anything that you can... I don't know, like a pep talk for yourself that you can say in your own head, like one of your handy exercises that could get you on the better path
1: for that day? You know, you can, I think one of the best things when you see something on paper, it also changes your brain. If you wake up and you have something maybe particularly challenging that day and you're thinking, I can't do this, write yourself a letter. Maybe you write five reasons why you can do it. And you keep that tucked away so that you read it throughout the day just to remind yourself, okay, I can talk back to these negative thoughts. Or maybe you have a letter that you've written yourself that you just carry around with you. It's a really kind letter that helps you be more self-compassionate that says, yep, you're going to go through tough times, but you got this anyway. Just a few sentences and just knowing that you have that with you and that you can read over it and that it's in your own words. Can make a big difference because there will be days when your brain says no no you, you can't do this when you have something that's already prepared and you remind yourself all right I'm feeling bad so therefore I'm thinking more negatively but yet when I'm feeling better I'll think more positive and just because I think these things it's not necessarily true and just reminding yourself of that on your worst days can help you get through some really tough times so it doesn't even
0: need to be five things. If someone could only manage one or two, that's something, that's material to go on, but it's not
1: all doom and gloom, right? Absolutely. And we just need those little reminders. You know, I, sometimes I work with people who say, I was really motivated to to reach this goal, but, you know, three days into it, I lost my motivation. What do I do? And I worked with one man who just wanted to go to the gym after work and he couldn't stick to it. So we wrote a list of all the reasons why he should go to the gym and he taped it to the steering wheel of his car. So when he got out of work every day and he was like, oh, I'm tired. I want to go home. He'd read over that list of why he should go to the gym and it increased his motivation to just turn the car towards the gym and go work out. And I think if we do that with other things in life, just to have a list of reasons why you should do something, read it over and just remind yourself, okay, I've got this.
0: Fantastic. We are up on time, but I wanted to ask you uh, two more questions. Firstly, do you have any more books in the pipeline
1: or any new projects you're working on? I have some ideas for books, but I don't know what the, what the fourth book is going to be yet, but I am working on a, um, a course for kids. Now that I have the parenting book out for parents, I wanted to do something for kids. So I'm actually working with an NFL player and we're going to launch it this summer and it'll be just specifically for kids, how do you build mental strength and how can, how can they build mental muscle? And we're going to make it a really fun, fun way for them to learn mental strength exercises.
0: That sounds amazing. I look forward to reading or hearing more about that. And finally, Amy, how are you now on a personal level after everything you've been through and also the success of your career? How, how are things with you? How are you doing?
1: I am doing great. I can honestly say life has never been better. Um, As we talked about a little bit before, I live on a boat in the Florida Keys. I get to do awesome things now. My book's in 30, I think 36 languages. So I have people from all over the world that I get to talk to about mental strength. And I get to write articles and speak to people like you on a daily basis and uh, just really loving life. And, you know, I think sometimes going through really tough times makes you appreciate the good times even more. And so for me personally, uh, I just so appreciate all the little things in life these days. That's fantastic. You really do have such an inspiring
0: story. And if everybody is listening on the podcast version, I would encourage you to go and check out the YouTube video version because you can see Amy and see how happy she is sitting <laughs> on her boat in the Florida Keys. Um, Amy, where can people find out more about you or follow you on social media? What are your handles?
1: Uh, so, my website is Amy Morin, LCSW, as in licensed clinical social worker.com. Um, but I pay the most attention these days to Instagram, where my handle is Amy Morin, author. Fantastic. And Health Hackers, viewers and listeners, if you like this episode, I
0: would love it if you subscribed on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. You could also hit follow on Spotify or SoundCloud. Thank you, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.